Welcome to Growing Through Grief. I'm your host, Diana Curtis. Growing Through Grief is a weekly sprinkle of education and inspiration to help you take action that leads to personal freedom and greatness. I share powerful conversations with grief experts, spiritual advisors, and other courageous souls in this transformational podcast. I believe with the right support and the power of community, you can eliminate unnecessary prolonged grief. I'm here to teach you how to normalize, recognize, and use grief as a growth tool. I've been a champion for growth for decades since the loss of my mother. Together, we are growing. I'll give you weekly tips and small steps that will move the needle forward so that you are experiencing a healthy inner relationship with yourself. Let's get started. All right. So welcome to the Growing Through Grief podcast, where we're helping individuals transform their deepest pain into their greatest growth. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so glad you are here. So today I have this powerhouse that we're going to be having a conversation with and she knows grief, she knows growth, she knows freedom. And I just know she's going to be dropping some gems for us all Mm -hmm. to put in our toolkit. So yes, her name is Ellen Newhouse. Ellen, welcome. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Well, good afternoon in your part of the world. And thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to be here. I am too. I am too. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and then we'll get more into the story as we go along. Sure. So I am a transformational healer and I integrated with acupuncture, something called sound healing. Yes, I actually sing into people's bodies and beings and I combine it with energy medicine. I'm also uh, the best-selling author of a memoir, Nothing Ever Goes On Here, which is the journey that I took to overcome a violent childhood and learn about forgiveness And I am the performer of the one woman show of the same name. And I am now writing my second book. Wow. Yeah. One woman show. That's like I said, you are a powerhouse. (laughs) I was so happy to meet you and one of our groups. And you and I just resonated with each other. And I kept asking myself, what is it? What is it that I'm I'm drawn to her? We have to mm. talk more. And of course, here we are. We're talking more. We talk outside of the podcast. And I am mm. so, so happy that you mm. have agreed to share with my listeners more about your journey with grief. Mm. And you just mentioned mm. violence with your father. So here's my question, Ellen. Mm. Share with our listeners one of your most compelling grief stories and Mm. what it was like to grow through that, to heal that and get on the other side of it. Yes. Yes. You know, my favorite quote from that book is actually on the other side of darkness, I met the light. On the other side of darkness, I met the light. Yes. Mm. Right. Right. I mean, 
there is no way to go from the dark to the light without going actually through it. So we actually have to meet the darkness first before we get to be on the other side to the light. And my first foray into the darkness was when I woke up at age 26 and I couldn't breathe. And I was, it was in the middle of New York City. I was having a beautiful, glamorous, um, abundant, wealthy life. And I woke up and I noticed I couldn't get a breath in. And in those days, I actually smoked cigarettes. So I, in my inimitable wisdom, thought, all right, well, if I can light a cigarette and see the smoke going in and coming out, I'm good. And I did put my little tennies on and bebopped off to work on Madison Avenue. By 11 o'clock that day, I had to say uncle and realize, no, I was definitely struggling to breathe. This journey set me on a two-year journey um, into Western medicine, and they could not resolve the issue. No medications would work. And it was such a blessing because what was really being asked of me was to break down into my darkness that I had hid from everybody because in the generation I grew up in, um, especially in the Jewish community that I grew up in, domestic violence, no, this was a taboo. I mean, it was completely hidden. And so I hid it from myself. And then the blessing of this illness was that my body said, no, enough. You will not keep pushing this down inside of yourself. Let me ask you to pause right there for a second, because I want to reflect back to you what I think I heard. I'm hearing that your most compelling grief story is around domestic violence. And because you had not healed that, it led you to a place where your body was responding and you were really getting sick and unable to breathe. So I just want to make sure our listeners got that. But you also dropped a couple of other nuggets that I don't (laughs) want anybody to miss. You said you have to go through the darkness in order to be reach the light. Yes. So for our mm-hmm. listeners, there is no bypassing this. No, there, there and, no and there's no spiritual bypass. Let's like let's get really clear about that. I do not want people to do a spiritual bypass that says what I mean by spiritual bypass is if I just do enough affirmations, if I meditate enough, if I imagine the best things enough, everything's going to be okay. That's not true. And so often what I see with my patients and, you know, readers of my book is that they want so badly to move on that they think, oh, can't I just forget about it? Ellen, that was in the past. Well, guess what, people? Yes, it was in the past, but our memories live in our tissues, in our DNA material. So until we're willing to go into it, we can't get through it and on the other side of the light because we actually have to dispel the darkness from our body. We have to take 
any trauma that we've had, any grief that we've had, and we have to become an alchemist. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yes. I was right there for a second. Okay. I just right. don't want the, the, the okay. listeners to miss any of this. What you just said, and I think you and I communicated a little bit on Facebook about this very thing, that the trauma that we experience as children, mm-hmm. it's really buried in our bodies. And we think, well, I don't want, why do I have to go back there? Why do I have to relive it? Well, the truth is we're reliving it, whether we are conscious of it or not. Yes. And the other part of that truth is that trauma lives, like you said, in our DNA and our cells and our blood and our bones and our mm-hmm. tissues and I stack it. it. We just carry it around with us. We so do. If we don't heal it, the body will say, okay. Yes. Okay. And so often we make choices from those experiences that do not serve us. And we're not conscious of it. You know, I remember in the beginning when I was a young healer, patients would come to me and, you know, I always had a a list of questions to ask them. And I would say, you know, how many births have you had? How many miscarriages? How many abortions? How many stillborns? And they'd give me the information and they'd say, oh, but I'm good. I'm good. You know, if they had any miscarriages, stillborns or, or abortions. And sure enough, I'd get my hands on them and whoa, all of the grief would arise. And they would be like, their eyes were like this big. And they were like, Ellen, I had that abortion 20 years ago. And I'm like, well, it's in there. It's still in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a miscarriage, but it was so, you know, soon after I got pregnant, it matters. Yeah. So tell us what the, if you feel comfortable, what did the domestic violence in a Jewish community look like for you? So what it looked like for me was that the motto that we were to live by is that we were to look good. And we were a beautiful, handsome family with beautiful smiles And so it was all to look good on the surface. We lived on a gorgeous, I mean, gorgeous tree, old tree-lined street with very exquisite, expensive homes. Ours was probably the cheapest house on the block, and it was still pretty gorgeous. And we were to look good, and we were not to tell. And that's where the title from my book actually comes, Nothing Ever Goes On Here. Wow. I love that. But the the truth was a lot was going on. Everything was going on here. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, the school systems in the era that I grew up in were not prepared to deal with it because I actually did tell. I remember one day my father was beating up my mother and it was early, early in the morning. And then I went to school And I actually told the school counselor, and I remember she gave me dolls and I was showing her. Well, the next thing I know, Diana, you won't believe this. I am sentenced for a year to speech class. Can you imagine? I'm in a speech class. Like I have never had a problem speaking a day of my life. And the only thing I can imagine is that the counselor or the principal called my dad and my dad said, 
Oh, you know that Ellen, she loves to tell stories. And then somehow convinced her to put me in speech class. So, so I'm the, trying to translate or put those two together. I've just shared with it was someone I trusted that I'm experiencing this domestic violence in my home. And the response to that was, oh, let me send you to a speech class to do what? To, to learn what? how to make sure you speak the right way, Ellen. Mm. Make sure. I mean, the message was very clear. You do not speak. About silence. This. Silence. You were silenced. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely silence. And I learned, Diana, to silence myself. And I think for anybody who has experienced domestic violence, learning how to silence your own voice. I mean, I literally get chills on that. It's so, it's wow. so painful. Now that's very interesting coming from you because you say often that you have this big energy. Yes. And with big energy, uh, is it a little impossible to be <laughs> silent? <laughs> You would think it would be hard to silence me. Now, you know me now at this time in my life where so many things have been healed. But the truth was, is that, yes, it was hard to silence me. And no, it wasn't because I learned. I'm going to step back a moment. I believe that first and foremost, all human beings want are to be loved, yeah. to be seen, to be heard, and to belong. Yes. And the first place that we belong is to our familial tribe, the yeah. tribe that we came into, right? right? And when the message of that tribe is, we do not speak about this, we do not talk about it, you are to smile and look pretty, Mm. Oh my goodness. So no wonder I was shoving it all down, trying to be a good girl, trying to like, yes, daddy, I won't tell. I will be good. I won't even remember what happened. And that is actually the truth. And then my body said, no, yeah. I'm done. I am done. And for anybody listening to this, if you have any bizarre physical or mental health issues, and they don't seem to make sense, I would really encourage you to get with a good practitioner to look into, is there a possibility of any trauma in your history that you don't remember? Because so often we, you know, I didn't remember. I remember the first therapist I went to and she said, I think you've had a lot of trauma in your life. And I was like, no, you, you've got this wrong. Right. I, I mean, we push it down. Does it mean we don't, the body knows and those memories there. In fact, I believe our body is perfect. It's the memories that we need to heal yes. in order to come back to a place of restoration and wholeness in our bodies. Absolutely. So tell us. Tell us a little bit about your healing journey. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so it started off with not being able to breathe. And then I spent two years going from one doctor to another doctor to a specialist. 
the very best specialist I met with the very last meeting, he said, we have good news and bad. I said, great, give me both. And he said, the bad news is that we really don't understand why you're not breathing optimally, but obviously you're not because we can measure it. The good news is we have a solution. And I leaned in. I said, okay, yes. Now I'm 28 years old with so much energy. And he said, we're going to give you an oxygen tank. Diana, right? At 26, 28. At 28, at 28. Can you imagine? Like that's their solution. Now that was a very huge blessing because it set me free out of that um, paradigm of healing, of medicine, right? And in those days, this is in 1980-something, in those days, alternative medicine didn't exist the way it does today. So I am sobbing and I'm crying and I'm walking in the streets of New York City and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I think, I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray to God. Yeah. And all right. And I get home and I'm thinking about my Christian friends, the way they pray at home. And I get on my hands and knees and I look up at my ceiling and I say, God, here's the thing. You need to get down here right now because I'm not ready to die. Now, I don't know what I expected. I don't know if I expected God to like talk to me. I think I might have. He didn't. But what did happen was that I committed to a prayer practice. And let me tell you, within one month of that day, my life changed radically. So you started with your prayer, spiritual practices. What else did you do? So then I started getting messages and I was like freaked out. I was like, oh my God. But I decided to follow them. I decided, all right, I'm on this journey. I'm going to listen. And I started to take inspired action based on the messages. Those actions led me to the most incredible healers. And I was afraid of all of them. They all seemed really freaky to me. And so I was like, well, no, but I would go and I would do energy work. I did acupuncture. I did something called bioenergetics, which is an incredible form of healing. I did another form of healing that there's no real name for. And then I got myself into therapy and I was in therapy. It started off with three times a week. And then I went to two times a week and I was in body therapy two times a week. And I did that. Oh, and at the same time, I decided that I was interested in learning the craft of acting. And acting became another healing vehicle for me, actually. And so I did that for the next five years. Wow. So were there other losses or childhood things, uh, even current experiences that you were going through at the time of your healing journey that sort of stood in the way? Were there other things going on in your life? Oh, my gosh. I was, I mean, I, at the time I was married to, I would say, a fairly conservative Jewish man who was wondering if I was having a nervous breakdown and becoming like my mom. And he did not understand the journey I was on at all, which I don't blame him for. I barely could understand it. So I began, it was was interesting because I began to realize that he couldn't get it and he was afraid, which rightfully so. And so I began to keep secrets again. 
And once I realized that, I was like, Ellen, you can't do this. You cannot continue to keep secrets in your life. And if you do, you're not going to heal. And then I was like, well, then what am I going to do? And then the whole concept of getting a divorce came up. And I was a good girl, Diana. I mean, my daddy said, nobody in our family has ever been divorced, nor ever will be. Is that clear? I was like, yes, daddy. (laughs) And, you know, and so getting a divorce was a really big deal. And yet I had to follow it. So I got a divorce in the beginning of the journey. Well, probably about two years into the journey. And that was super painful. I lost friendships because... People did not understand. It was like, Ellen, what are you doing? You know, and there's this, there's this desire for us to conform, right? We want to belong to our tribe. You know, Ellen, conform. You're not conforming. You're going outside of the lines. What are you doing? And so I lost a lot of friendships, mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. And it was, it became a very solitary journey. I so only- tell us about your, let's get into the emotions, the feelings. Okay. How are you feeling oh, throughout this five-year journey? Describe horrible. What does that mean? Yeah. So in the beginning, I remember the first year I was still married and my ex-husband would leave for work and I would hop into a bathtub and I would just wail. And I would cry probably most of the day. And then by the end of the day, I'd wash my face, put makeup on, make dinner and welcome him home. And so even that distortion of, you know, crying all day and then trying to be somebody I wasn't anymore, that had a a very discombobulating experience in my, my psyche. So I cried like that for a solid year. Mm. And it was really scary because I had grown up with a mom who was mentally ill. And so I couldn't often decipher, was I mentally ill now or was I healing? It it was very confusing. And I came upon a book that was so helpful called Spiritual Emergency. And it was able to define the difference between a mental breakdown and a spiritual awakening. And oh my gosh, that book I mean, it was like my Bible. I carried it around going, no, you're okay. You see, this is the difference. But it was very confusing in those days. And then after that year, I went into, well, then I got divorced and moved into my own apartment. And then I suffered for another, probably another three years, Diana, with severe anxiety. So much so that there was one year that I could barely make it to my therapy appointments. I paid for more therapy appointments than I actually got to because I was so afraid to leave my house. Yeah. So what were you just described? And I wrote it down, crying for an entire year, the severe anxiety throughout this five year process. What would you say was the hardest thing you had to learn or you kept repeating that one thing or two things over and over Mm, and over. mm. What took, what one thing took you the longest to learn? And I'm still learning it. (laughs) The thing that took me the longest to learn was that my dad wasn't right. 
because one of the ways that he abused me was to say, on a weekly basis, if not daily, you're a piece of shit, you don't matter, and you're never going to, I want to get it correctly, you're a piece of shit, and this is so great that I can't remember, oh, you'll never amount to anything. And you're learning once you realize dad is not right. This is not really my stuff. This is dad's stuff. Once you realize that what shifted, what was the turning point? You pivoted into what? Yeah, well, it's taken a long time, Diana. I mean, I would have to say I had moments of like openings, like, oh, maybe my therapist is right. Maybe, maybe he's, maybe I'm not a piece of shit. Maybe he's, he wasn't really speaking about me. So honestly, I've still like, still been working that out. You know, it, it's taken a long time. So I how mean, are you, you're reframing that story? How? So one of the ways that that got reframed was in the work I did with Buyer Energetics, I was literally releasing screaming and releasing, I mean, howling, pain, like that sounds like an animal. And with that fear and more fear and grief and more sadness and layers and layers and layers and anger. Oh my goodness. I spent the first seven years in anger and and just really having spaces where I could just be held without judgment and allowed my anger, allowed my voice. So I think as the pain started to be released from my body, not just on a mental level, but on a very physical level, Mm. I began to have a little window that said, maybe my dad wasn't right. Maybe I'm okay. Maybe I can do something in my life. Maybe there's nothing really wrong with me. So, but that window, Diana, for the first five years would open and close, open and close, open and close, because what our parents tell us matters more than I think most parents could ever know. I heard you say in between all of that, you talked about anger Mm -hmm. and I also heard you say you got a glimpse of knowing that dad is not all right. Yeah. But when you really became conscious and aware of that, mm-hmm. sounds like there was a layer of compassion and empathy for him as well. Oh, absolutely. So that you could move oh, to a place of forgiveness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time a therapist said to me, you know, in order to fully heal, Ellen, you're going to need to forgive your dad. And I was like, hell no, 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 not going to happen. I was so angry and, and rightfully so my anger really helped me to heal. But in the end, the truth is, is that we do need to forgive. And the truth is, I think forgiveness is, is the most misunderstood emotion. Yeah. We don't forgive the other for the other we forgive the other for us so that we are released from that bond of trauma. We're released from that bond of anger, from that bond that says you're a piece of shit, you know? And the way, the only way, the only true way to forgive is to stand 
in the other person's shoes. Yeah. Yeah. So when I asked the question, just kind of describe your experience and how you were feeling. I'm I heard angry. Mm-hmm. angry. But you also had a layer of forgiveness in the process so that you can continue to just release because the body, the body is not a storage container. It's, no. uh, it's a releasing center. Exactly. We breathe in and out, in and out. We have yeah. to do the same thing with the pain. So let me just kind of, you said a lot, uh, but I wanted to go back to the comment to the listeners. If you are experiencing unexplained illnesses mm-hmm. and your doctor, your specialist, absolutely can't find anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pause, yes. go back and deal with your childhood issues. And if you think you're not dealing with it, if you think you don't want to deal with it or go back to it, mm-hmm. know that it's showing up in your life every single day. Every so single day. Yeah. Why not go back clear it out so that you can reach that place of freedom and being able to jump on a call like Ellen and I and just talk about it. But you also said, and this resonated with me about separation and all that any of us want is to feel like we belong, to be seen, heard, and I say cared for. Yeah. And that resonated with me because my life started at age three mm-hmm. as being separated from mm-hmm. my mother who passed. And I know that I have to, this is my life journey to always take care of my three-year-old who can in an instant feel abandoned, rejected, yes. and isolated. Absolutely. Because, but because I know this. Mm-hmm. And I've gone back and I've revisited this rather than project outside of myself. Someone may show up in my life and have me feel abandoned. Right. Those are my feelings. And I know it's my three-year-old. So I just get mm-hmm. the love on her and nurture her. And we just have a good time. Whatever. We may have to go get an ice cream cone or whatever we need to do. <laughs> and yes. I think it's important for people. A lot of people have no clue about their behaviors and why mm. they're showing up in the world the way they're showing up in the world. Right. And it, parts of us that haven't been healed. <laughs> exactly. And it can be very confusing. I mean, so confusing. And I love that you consistently, because healing happens in layers and it doesn't just happen in a two-year or a five-year stint. I believe once we get on this journey, it is a lifelong journey and it's a beautiful journey. You know, people often get so upset. Well, Ellen, I've been working with you for six months and I'm not all healed. And I kind of laugh inside and I think, well, it's a long journey. Yes. And you so this I, for decades. Absolutely. Are you expecting to heal it in four months? No, it right. doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. Work. And I love that you say the truth, which is you're always working with your three-year-old yeah. when she needs your attention when she needs your love, because there are always parts of us who will be working with. And as we grow forward, and I love this, as we stretch into the more potential of ourselves, up come those parts that say, oh, 
I'm here. I need some more support so that you can go forward. I love that. It's just, I was very intentional about naming this podcast, Growing Through Grief. Yes. Because it's a fact. Things will come up. Things Mm -hmm. will come up. But we're learning how not to push them down, not to swallow, not to drink them away, not to try to numb it with alcohol, sex and drugs. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're going to we are learning how to heal it when it comes out. Mm -hmm. They're just emotions. It's not who we are. Right. Exactly. We are their emotions and just energy moving. So let that energy move right on through the body. So I don't believe it, but we're very close to the end of this conversation. And I want to ask you to share with our listeners one or two takeaways, tips Mm. that you would like to share based on your own personal experience with let's just say domestic violence, growing up with a mother with mental health issues. And, you know, we also create our own stuff. It's not just our parents. We create our own stuff. (laughs) Oh, and we're very good at that. Exactly. (laughs) So give us quickly one or two tips that you would like to leave the listeners with. Okay. No matter where you have been, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you have done, It is possible to heal and grow and create a life that you absolutely love. That's my number one. Mm. Number two is that the body speaks louder than our minds. So sometimes we we might think, well, I'm good, but our body is filled with aches and pains and illnesses. And it is screaming for you to wake up, acknowledge the blessing and the messages that it has for you so that you can clear that old pain and live a life of joy. Beautiful. Beautiful. So you just kind of recapped it for me. But before we close out, give me a couple of bullets of what you're up to right now. What are you doing? Well, believe it or not, I am, <laughs> I am, well, I have my own podcast now, so um, I'm working on that and I'm really loving the experience. I am now writing my second book and it's all about the journey of meeting the darkness through death so that we can really live and bring in the light of joy. And I'm continuing to see patience and um, and I'm writing a new one woman show. Wow, that's beautiful. And I won't ask you how can our listeners reach you because we're going to put all of your social media links into the uh, when the podcast is released. The listeners will have all of that information. I know I know that they're just waiting to learn more about you. Oh, and I can't believe you. we're at the end of another conversation. <laughs> thank you so, so much for having me. No, thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, I hope you got something from my guest and I, something that you can use. If it's just one tool that you can add to your toolbox, I hope you got that. So I will see you next week. In the meantime, keep on growing. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Growing Through Grief and being part of this loving community of women. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share and spread the word. Let's help all women become richer and more nourished in their heart so that they're able to just keep on rising. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, or you would like to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at coachingtotheheart.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep on growing.